Let us pray. Father God, in your mercy, you accept our sacrifice of praise. We celebrate your faithfulness. May we now be faithful to listen to your word to each of us. In Jesus' name, amen. I'll just take my watch off. I'm missing that clock at the back of the hall there. So uh, there we go. Earlier this year, my sister-in-law was diagnosed with cancer for the second time within seven or eight years. That is bad news. The first occasion was followed by some very invasive surgery and she was closely monitored by the hospital until she was given the all clear. And she was able to say with millions of others this year who took the opportunity to thank the NHS on its 70th anniversary, the NHS saved my life. Her second bout of cancer diagnosed this year required further surgery, followed by an intensive course of chemotherapy, followed by a course of radiotherapy, which she completed this week. I put a fabulous photo on Facebook. She has been a good patient and responded really well to the treatment. And we await the good news that she has the all clear for the second time. But does the world divide neatly into good news and bad news? Well, it's perfectly possible for exactly the same news to be both good and bad, depending on how it affects the hearer. So let me give you an example. On the 26th of December 2018, my football team, the mighty Wolverhampton Wanderers, are travelling to Craven Cottage to play a little team called Fulham. That's it, Fulham. Now... <laughs> Now, we all know that that's three points in the bag for the mighty Wolverhampton Wanderers, which is good news. However, that very same result will be bad news for people like, I don't know, like Tony and Francis Miles, shall we say? So, we have good news, we have bad news, and we have exactly the same news, which is simultaneously good and bad. So, let's add into this mix the term fake news. Now, fake news isn't new. Fake news, whereby a group or individual purposely misleads someone with inaccurate facts, is as old as humanity. Okay, But the usage of this term has risen by 365% over the last two years. In fact, fake news became the word of the year in 2017. It's two words, but hey. Well, fake news can come in a number of variants. False often sensational information circulated under the guise of news reporting. 
And the motivations behind fake news stories are mixed. People may do it for money, promoting propaganda, uh, to undermine individuals or groups. And the newspaper, The Independent, reported that fake news has contributed to society's mistrust of news reporting. We don't know what to believe anymore. And social media makes it incredibly easy to spread misinformation today and for total fabrications to go all the way around the world unimpeded in a record time. In fact, it's been said that technology favours lies over truth. It's said that a lie will travel around the world while truth is pulling its boots on. This adage has been attributed to both Mark Twain and C.H. Spurgeon. Well, Mark Twain, we also remember, was also the victim of fake news, prompting him to write a letter in 1897, which ended, the report of my death was an exaggeration. Research reveals that false stories spread far more rapidly than genuine news. Sometimes it's deliberate, sometimes it is done unwittingly. So the message here is think before you retweet, okay? So how is the church, which is in the good news business, supposed to cope with all of this? How can we get the good news across to a suspicious community? Is the gospel sensational enough to get a fair hearing? Does it stand up to all the filters that we are suggested we use to spot fake news? Well, let's take a look at our Bible readings this morning. It's said that you only have one opportunity to make a first impression. First words matter. So when Mark begins his gospel, the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, Mark is setting his stall out in that line. You don't mind say, pow. That's how he's starting his gospel. And there are some who regard these words as the most stunning opening line that has ever been written. And these words set the tone for the rest of the gospel story that reveal who Jesus is and the very nature of God. Jesus is very good news. And Mark's words will provide the evidence we need to validate the claims of John the Baptist and Jesus Christ himself. So far, so good. But the good news begins with repentance. And repentance does not have a good press. Why on earth would you put good news and repentance side by side? We might actually say, you mean I have to change? I thought you said you had some good news for me. 
Were there some people who met this term with skepticism? Because remember the context when John the Baptist came on the scene. The Jews were living under Roman occupation. Did some people think, I'll tell you what's good news. Tell the Romans to sling the hook so that we can be liberated again. The good news of salvation wasn't about being rescued from Roman occupation. In fact, I asked myself the question, is salvation about being rescued from ourselves? Because if it is, then that is a timeless message. The good news Mark is writing about is that God is among us. And Mark's gospel, you almost have to stop to catch breath. He writes it so fast. He hastily recounts stories of Jesus healing, releasing individuals from possession, raising the dead, offering forgiveness, inviting outcasts, teaching, loving, feeding, dying, rising, all in the name of salvation. Not just for one generation, but throughout the subsequent centuries. In Jesus Christ, the rule of God has come. And the world, well, the world must decide how it wants to respond. Is the message that Jesus declares later in that chapter, the time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Is that good news so sensational that it can be dismissed by the world as fake news? Or could the invitation to repent sound so unpalatable to us that we simply bat it off as fake news because we simply don't want to do it? For repentance is far more than confession. It involves a change of mind, which is liberating, but challenging. Because repentance, salvation, will challenge you to look at yourself differently, to look at God differently, to look at the world and those you share it with differently. And that's not easy. But when you stop playing at life, Stop playing with faith. Stop playing as church and glimpse the character of God in Jesus and ponder, do I want to be committed to him with all that that entails? Let me tell you, God is committed to you. 100%. He doesn't even have to think about it. It's a given. And that is good news for the world in any age. It's never been easy to be church. In the UK, we have a declining church attendance. We have the church's missing generation, which used to be the 20 to 40s, has now become the 30 to 50s. We are struggling to get an audience to even listen to the good news of the gospel, let alone respond to it. 
what are we to do? Do we need to earn the respect to be listened to? And if that's the answer, then how do we do that? And the Apostle Paul was not unaware of what he was up against when he preached the gospel. When he visited Athens, he wasn't so much impressed by that great city. When he saw that the city was full of idols, he was irritated. There was an idol for this, an idol for that, and even an altar to an unknown God. G.K. Chesterton wrote, when people stop believing in God, they don't believe in nothing. They believe in anything. And Paul calls the Athenians ignorant in verse 23. But before that, Paul calls together the Jews and the God-fearing Greeks in the synagogue before he then moves into the marketplace to reason and debate and to preach the good news. And he gets an audience because he's sharing something with them that they've never heard before. But their initial impression of him is not at all favorable. He is called a blabber. Paul is then swept along to the Areopagus, and now he has his opportunity to spell out his views. And his audience thought he was coming out with some strange stuff here. And Luke, in Acts, is suggesting here that Paul's audience were moved by sheer curiosity and were greatly concerned at all about the truth of what they were hearing. But Paul addresses his hearers by starting where they're at. And I actually think that's a good place to start. He commends them for being very religious. We don't know the tone of voice he used, but we imagine it in a good sense because this provides a way in to his address that would engage the attention of his audience. And Paul's proclamation is concerned with the God who made the universe and all that it contains. God is the source of life. God is good. God is our provider. God is near. And it is his desire that we seek after him and find him. And consequently, you cannot portray the living God as an inanimate image. Paul preaches on the resurrection, and there is again this call to repent. And the response? The group hear exactly the same news. But some embrace it as good news, and believe, and others dismiss it as fake news. I said earlier that the Apostle Paul was not unaware of what he was up against when he preached the gospel, and neither are we. 
I once heard it said that the church is no longer the center of society. In fact, there is no longer a center to our society. And rather we have a marketplace where many voices are competing for our attention. How can the good news be heard in the cacophony? And where is fake news rife? Well, it's in the world of social media. Does the church have a voice there too? Well, yes, it does. Our multi-talented colleague, Dan Forshaw, is our digital outreach guy, and he makes sure that this hall is using its voice out in social media land. It's a powerful tool. We are not afraid to step in with the authentic voice of the gospel, and we have a right to be there too. God has given us authority to share the gospel throughout the world. And if that's in social media, then that stands there too. We've got a right to be there. Bishop Graham Cray, who was previously a team leader of Fresh Expressions, says the Spirit comes to help the church right in the middle of a world to live a life which makes people look at it and say, well, they're not perfect, and I'm not sure I understand it all, and I'm not sure if I believe it all, but if that's half a hint of a possible future, I want to know more. So we must ask ourselves, is the story of our life in Christ good news or fake news? Because the good news is not simply good advice, nor is it information about God's power. The good news is God's power. Let us pray. And I use a prayer written by Tom Wright. Lord God, you created everything and us in your image. You call us to give you everything and live according to your image in us. So help us to commit ourselves and all we have to the good news that you are, that we can see everything through Christ's eyes and be changed. Amen.